let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 this morning. We have New Year's upon us, so the year is ending and we're looking forward to a new year. We're going to have our vision night on the first Sunday. You'll notice also in your bulletin that we have... Um, rearranged our schedule somewhat. Instead of having communion tonight, we're going to have it next Sunday night. Kind of goes with our theme a little bit, as well as I had gotten word that a number of folks are out sick and different things. I just thought we wanted to try to make sure that uh, the whole family as a whole could be here for that. Plus tonight also, we, we have a guest speaker with us tonight. We're looking forward to that. Brother Don Tinsley is going to be with us, and he's uh, traveling with his family. He is the son-in-law to uh, our missionary to the Rock of Ages, Brother Dave Herman and Mrs. Herman. And so we're glad they're in town, and I've asked him to speak. I've been wanting him to speak for a long time, not because he's that good, just because I want him to speak. But <clears throat> the fact is, is that he'll be with us. <laughs> I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard him preach. I, I, I don't I've ever heard him preach, and, uh, but, but I know he does. He does a fabulous job from what I understand, and I'm excited. He's a uh, he, he's trying to get me to go out there and preach, and, and you know how that goes. I, I, I don't know, but we'll see. You know, We'll see how good he does, and if he does really good, I know I'm not going out, but uh, at any rate, he's going to be speaking for us tonight. I'm excited about that. I'm really looking forward to that, and it's been about a year now. We've been trying to get things worked out, and I just thought this is a perfect time as we end the year of just to be encouraged and just instructed tonight, and then as we prepare to kick off the new year. So we'll have our communion next Sunday night. We'll kick off all of our new uh, Bible adult classes uh, that are starting on in the morning. A lot going on as we enter into 2020. And uh, I'm, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I honestly thought I'd even be around come 2020. And yet here we are. Amen. What an amazing thing it is to be alive and God giving his grace and extending it to us. And we're certainly glad. Okay, Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> we're going to read the first three verses, all right? The first three verses. The Bible tells us there, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You know, this morning we're going to focus our attention on a man who was called upon to uproot his family and to undertake an overwhelming task, or so it seemed, an overwhelming task, humanly speaking. Abram, at the time he's called, would agree to be God's man, and his life was a journey, and that particular journey paved the way for future generations. It's hard to imagine how life is different today because of the life of Abram, or Abraham, as he's so well known. I mean, Abraham was, a, was going places. He was taking a journey, a journey of faith. And that journey of faith would ultimately affect the world that he lived in and the world to come. And you know, if truth be told, each and every one of us is called upon to have a journey of faith. A faith journey. And the truth is, is if we'll live our lives the way God intended us to live them, if we'll follow God's instruction and His leadership in our life, 
then our life too will impact not only this generation, but the next to come. The Bible is filled with those who obeyed the voice of God, with those who launched out into the deep in search of the best that God had for them and their families and their generation. You know, we can't help but remember men like Noah. Noah, who preached the gospel for 120 years and was ridiculed, mocked, and made fun of, and yet he stayed faithful. A man like Noah, who ultimately would take his place on an ark. The rain would come, and when it all settled and all was said and done, there would be eight of them that would walk out of that ark and begin a new beginning. And may I say today that Our faith journey is very similar. It may not be the end of the world, so to speak, but it is certainly one that can impact the world we live in and the next generation. So this morning, I want to note four things that God provided along Abraham's journey of faith. And by the way, I believe that these are four things that God will provide for you and I as well if we'll enlist in the journey. Just because you're a child of God doesn't mean that you're part of that journey yet. I'm not saying that that you're not a child of God. I'm not saying that you haven't gotten off the broad road and on the narrow road. But I'm telling you that it it doesn't necessarily mean that you have chosen to journey as God would have you. That you're really following a faith journey that God has predetermined and predestined for you. I'm telling you God has a purpose for your life. And God wants you to accomplish something that only you can accomplish. And no one else can. You say, but you don't know me. I'm a nobody. God uses nobodies. That's who he uses. He can't use somebodies because he deserves and demands all the glory. If you'll be willing to be that nobody and you'll get on that faith journey, you'll step onto that road in obedience to God. He can use you in a way that you never dreamed possible. So I want to share with you four simple things that God provides along the way, both for Abraham and for you and I. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love in our life. We need you today. Be glorified. You deserve it. You're worthy of our praise. We humble ourselves now, Lord. We humble ourselves recognizing that we are nothing without you and can do nothing. Again, we elevate you. We magnify you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, dying for us, taking our place. In Christ's name we pray, amen. First of all, that first thing that I want to share is his distinct pathway. Notice verse 1 of our text. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee. It's clear that God had a very distinct pathway for Abraham to travel. I mean, there's no question about it. God had told him, it's time to leave that which you are so familiar with. It's time for you to reach out, to step out, to go forward for me. It's time for you to leave behind that which you once depended on so greatly. And now it's time for you to step out by faith and journey on my behalf. A very distinct pathway. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10 says, By faith Abram, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed, 
and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Man, I look at that and I read that and I think, he not knowing whither he went. That means that when God spoke to his heart there, he had no clue, no idea necessarily where it would lead him. He didn't know exactly how it would turn out. He didn't know where he had placed his roots. He didn't know where he'd raised his family. What he knew was that God called him. And it was time to step out by faith. It was time to live the life of faith. And to function in that journey of faith as God had intended him to. He was on a journey of faith. And I contend with you this morning that God has a distinct pathway for you to travel as well. I think sometimes the devil has deceived us into believing somehow that we are insignificant and that we have no real uh, benefit to the kingdom cause. I want you to know that's a lie right out of hell. You play a major role where you live today in God's economy. Don't allow yourself to be deceived into believing that you are insignificant. God has a specific plan, a specific purpose for you to fulfill. All of us have done some traveling in our day. And as you travel, you're going to learn that no matter where you go in this country in which we live, there's always going to be certain signs along the way. Speed limit signs, stop signs. There's going to be all kind of information at times given to you on certain signs. And again, in this journey of faith, the pathway is lined with signs as well. Some directive and some protective. But it's, this pathway is lined with signs of faith. The Bible tells us, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now listen, I, I, it's easy to talk about walking by faith. It's a whole other thing to do it. Boy, it's so much easier to walk by sight, isn't it? We have a New Testament example of this in the Apostle Paul. He was called, he was commissioned with a very distinct pathway, wasn't he? I mean, his life, his ministry is so documented, well documented for us even. All you need to do is read the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's 13 books, possibly 14, that were written by the Apostle Paul or that God used to pen those books at least. When he was in the twilight of his years, he informs us that his life was not a bunch of random events. It wasn't just something that happened in his life. He didn't just corral those events. He didn't make them happen. God had orchestrated his life. God had placed him in the position and the place that he found himself throughout his life. May I say there's nothing that takes place in your life that God doesn't want to use to better you and to make an impact and a difference in the world in which you live. May I tell you nothing happens by coincidence, good or bad. Someone says, I can't believe God would allow that to happen to me. Sadly enough, life happens. And God permits life to happen because he wants to make us stronger. He wants to temper us. We don't talk much about heartache. and We don't talk much about tragedy. We don't talk about difficulties and trials in the Christian life much because that's a turnoff. That's so discouraging. May I tell you today that until we learn to handle those things in our lives, we'll never be victorious in the Christian life. I'm not saying I got it all figured out either, by the way. But I know he does. 
You never go wrong obeying him. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He goes on to say, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love is appearing. There are 128 runners in the field for the cross-country race at the 1993 NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships. 128 runners. So they set out for their 6.2-mile run. They were following a course that had been uh, pre-marked by those race officials. Toward the end of the course, one of the runners in the middle of the group realized something was wrong. Mike Docavo of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed the turn. He goes on to say, I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, this is the right way, this is the right way, over here. Docavo was right, but only four other runners followed him. The rest continued on the shortcut, which allowed each and every one of them, 124 of the 128, to run a shorter distance and finish the race sooner. In a widely criticized decision, race officials allowed the abbreviated route to stand as the official course. And Del Cabo officially finished 123rd. He had done everything right. He had followed the predetermined path. You know, it's interesting that the world doesn't always reward staying on track. The world doesn't always acknowledge the, the, the benefit of you and I as believers following the Word of God, living according to the Word of God. No, they don't do that. Matter of fact, they can change the rules in the middle of the race, so to speak. You may not be uh, head of the class. People may not elevate you as you think you ought to be. They look maybe even down on you at times, whether it's at work or other places. Oh, your Christianity, living for Christ. Oh, we're going to change the rules a little bit. It's not enough to be moral. That doesn't matter anymore. So whether you're moral or not, we'll just go ahead and do this or do that. I'm telling you today, the world doesn't necessarily appreciate you sticking to the rules. But I know someone that does. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a particular pathway. And may I say, although it may not always be the most comfortable pathway, it may not always be the most convenient pathway, it is the only prosperous one for the believer. He gives us a distinct pathway to travel. And most often it is outlined and defined for us very clearly in the Word of God. So I don't know what to do. Well, look at the Word of God. You'll find it. It's there somewhere. It may be buried beneath verse after verse, chapter after chapter, but if you'll dig, if you'll bear your heart and your soul before God, He'll open up the windows of heaven and give you leadership and give you wisdom. He has a distinct pathway. He had it for Abraham and He has it for you and I if we'll just get in the race and we'll be faithful and obedient. Not only that, but something else he provides is not only his distinct pathway, but his doubtless prosperity. 
in verse 2 of our text, the Bible says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. God's pathway is always pointing toward prosperity. Hold on, though. The definition of prosperity has been narrowed to simply money and material gain in our culture and our society for the most part. See, that's what really matters today, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what really makes you successful? Isn't that what makes you uh, important in this world? How much money do you make? How much is in your bank account? How nice a car do you drive? How big's your house? How nice are your clothes? Sadly enough, believers have bought into that lie. Somehow they believe somehow that prosperity is evidence of God's God's what? Favor in our life. That's right. God's favor. Isn't it sad to think that we look to the physical things in this life to somehow prove to ourselves that God loves us? If God loved me, I'd have a nicer house. I'd have a better job. I'd have more money. Because, see, the world somehow has taught us or redefined prosperity in the Bible. Look, if you would, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, please. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having things if indeed you're utilizing them for the purpose that God intended you to. If they're not what defines you. People feel like failures and walk about as failures because they don't live up to the expectations that the world sets. I want you to know that God has some expectations. You live up to his expectations, you are success, whether you have money in your pocket or not. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. We have the children of Israel who have just recently lost their leader, Moses. God has taken him now, and he's, they're left behind with, with Joshua, who had followed after Moses and had followed after God, who was faithful for year after year after year, and now he's placed in the position of leadership. God begins to speak to Joshua, and he says to him here in the passage, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Well, I sure wish our leaders would understand one important principle of leadership. That true leadership is found first and foremost in obedience to God. You support whoever you want as government leaders. You have a prerogative and a right to do so as a citizen. But may I say, I want a president who says no to some things. I don't want gay agenda to be pushed. And I don't want this transgender stuff being sent over the top. I don't want abortion to be okay, and I don't think that 15 days after is not an abortion anyway. It's still killing a child. I'm happy and glad that we have a president who says we're not going to just abort babies in the ninth month and when they're laying alive on a table. That's more than most have done. That's more than any president I've ever heard of. But I'll say this much. I wish our government leaders would get back to the word of God and say we're going to live according to this book. 
Just like God told Joshua, it's still true today, my friend. We may be living in the year 2020 coming up soon, but nothing's changed as far as God the Creator is concerned. That's not politically correct, preacher. I know, but it's biblically correct. I thought we were supposed to be Bible believers. I thought cultural relevance was only based on biblical culture. For the believer, that is. Notice he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, thou shalt, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Watch it. And then thou shalt have what kind of success? Good success. There is a difference between the world's success and God's success. And you know what the difference is? A four-letter word, good. Do you know that success in the world is failure to God? Success in the world without God is failure. Good success. Good success. Boy, you know God wants to give you success in your life. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to experience his manifold blessings in your life and in your family. Abraham may not have fully comprehended or understood where he was going, but you know what? He knew it would end up okay. A young boy, he went into the local store with his mom, and the shop owner, a kind old fella, he passed him and he passed him a large jar, jar of suckers, and he, and he, and he invited him to, to help himself to a handful of them. Go ahead, take a handful of those, young man. Uncharacteristically, that boy held back. Most children would have ripped the top off. They'd have quickly grabbed those, those suckers, but not this young man. Matter of fact, he kind of pulled his hand back. He just kind of eh. went outside. The boy's mom asked him why he'd suddenly been so shy. And why he wouldn't take a handful of suckers when it was offered to him. The little boy replied, well, because his hand was much bigger than mine. He wanted that shop owner to give him a handful of suckers because his hand was a lot larger than his little hand. Can I tell you God's hand is so much larger than ours? So many times we are so quick to reach out and try to grab all the gusto we can get, to grab all the success that we can muster. But I'm going to tell you, God's hand is much bigger than ours. Boy, if we'll get on this faith journey and we'll really get in the Word of God and we'll allow God to be real in our life, we'll note His distinct pathway and we'll, we'll enjoy His provision, His prosperity. Without a doubt. Number three, not only that, but we'll enjoy his divine protection. Look, if you would, again in our passage in chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. God says to Abraham, he says, you know, you just remain faithful on your journey of faith, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide you with protection. I'm going to be there for you. And you know, those that bless you, I'm going to bless. Those that curse you, they better brace themselves for a world of hurts. Now, I do want us to realize that there are going to be those who curse us. You don't travel the right road, as we said before, without somebody being a little upset. You know how it is. You're always judging people. 
you're the only one that's right. You think your faith's the only one that's, that's blessed by God? That your salvation's the only way to get there? You think you're better than everybody else just because you don't drink or you don't get in, involved in immorality. You think you're so much better than everybody. You've never said that. You, I hope, never implied that. But that's how it's perceived by the world, isn't it? It's an amazing thing how guilt affects people's outlook. Ira Sankey, who for years led the music for D.L. Moody's evangelistic meetings, he was traveling by steamboat on Christmas Eve in 1875. He was recognized by some of the passengers, and, you know, they asked him to sing. Sankey agreed to sing, and, of course, he, he loved to sing, so it didn't matter where he was. And he began to sing, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. When the song was done, one of the listeners stepped forward and said, Hey, did you serve in the Union Army? Mr. Sankey said, well, yes, sir, I did. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? <laughs> yeah, right, you know. Mr. Sankey, though, said, you know what? I do recall a specific night like that. He said, well, I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post there, I, I raised my gun and I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that very instant, you raised your eyes to heaven, and you began to sing that same song. Let him sing that song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother who sang that song to me. When you finished, it was impossible for me to take aim again. And I thought to myself, boy, the Lord who's able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. Proverbs 2.8 tells us, he keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Boy, the safest place in the world is found in the center of God's will. Some years ago, you know, I read a prayer letter from one of our missionaries on the field in Mexico. In that particular letter, they stated that they personally knew nine missionaries that had fled Mexico for fear of their lives or their safety and their family's safety. On the other hand, they themselves felt that God would have them to stay. No, no matter the potential harm, no matter the, the potential uh, difficulties or trials they may face, they felt that God would have them stay. You know, it's been a number of years now, but they're still there and they're thriving. See, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will for your life. You know, the Bible simply tells us that he will give us his divine protection. He did in Abraham's life, and he will in yours if you'll just continue on that faith journey. Finally, we have his dependable promise. At the end of verse 3, 
we read, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Sure, we're going to face the unknown. Abraham did. Sure, we're going to endure the unexpected. He did. But you can count on this fact. Not only you, but all those around you will be blessed for your faith, of, your journey of faith. If you'll stay faithful, if you'll just get on board and you'll obey God and you'll walk that walk of faith, that journey of faith, not only will you, but those around you will be blessed as well. Abraham would provide the world with a Savior. It's interesting, isn't it? Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says, And Abraham, he begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. It continues on in Matthew 1.17 to say, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Abraham's seed would result in the coming of the Messiah. All the world was blessed because of one man's faith journey. One man's journey of faith. Who will be blessed because of your journey? Who will be blessed because of mine? I mean, the Savior, he hung upon Calvary. All eyes were fixed on him that day. He's forgotten amongst the agony, the pain, the suffering. Among the chaos and the confusion that existed that day was the fact that there was a man generations ago who was faithful. Who was faithful in his journey of faith. If you and I remain faithful, you and I can also leave a legacy of faith to those that will follow. Who will be blessed because of our journey of faith here at Community Baptist Temple? Who will be, who will be blessed because of your journey of faith? We considered four things that God provided along Abraham's journey of faith that he will provide for you and I as well if we enlist in the journey. One of the greatest public servants in the history of England was a man by the name of William Gladstone. William Gladstone lived between 1809 and 1898, and he served as prime minister four times during the latter half of the 19th century. That means the end of the 18th. I always get that mixed up, don't you? Gladstone was a committed Christian who always attended church. As a matter of fact, he taught Sunday school class throughout his adult life. In fact, his aim early on in life was to become an Anglican clergyman, but after his graduation from Oxford, his strong-willed father insisted that he enter politics. Shortly before he died, Gladstone. Gladstone gave a speech in which he told about being visited by an ambitious young man who sought his advice about life. 
The particular young man told the elder statesman that he admired him more than anyone living, and he just wanted to seek his advice regarding his personal career. And so we have this interview. What do you hope to do when you graduate from college, Gladstone asked the young man. The young man replied, well, I, I hope to attend law school, sir, just as you did. Well, that's a noble goal, said Gladstone. Then what? Well, I hope to practice law and make a good name for myself, defending the poor and the outcasts of society just as you did. Boy, that's a noble purpose, said Gladstone. What then? Well, sir, I, I hope one day to stand for Parliament and become a servant of the people, even as you did. That, too, is a noble hope. What then, asked Gladstone? Well, I, I, I hope to be able to, to, to serve in Parliament with great distinction, evidencing integrity and a concern for justice, even as you did, Mr. Gladstone. Well, what then? Well, I would, I would hope to serve the government as prime minister with the same vigor, dedication, vision, and integrity as you did. And, and what then? Well, I hope to retire with honors and write my memoirs, even as you are presently doing, so that others could learn from my mistakes and from my triumphs. All of that is very noble, said Gladstone. And then what? The young man, he kind of thought for a moment. He kind of took him by surprise. And he, he said, well, sir, I, um, <clears throat> I suppose I'll then die. That's correct, said Gladstone. And then what? The young man kind of looked puzzled, and he said, Well, sir, um, I, I, I never really given that any thought. Young man, Gladstone responded, The only advice I have for you is this. Read your Bible and think about eternity. Think about eternity. He had all these goals and aspirations. He had all these monumental tasks that he sought to ultimately achieve. And yet in the end, this great man spoke to him and said simply this, I want you to go home and I want you to read your Bible and I want you to think about eternity. We are wasting our lives in most cases. We are living for today when in reality we ought to be thinking about eternity. When's the last time you weighed your next decision through the eyes of eternity? Young man, you're going to come to a place where you see a little girl and you think to yourself, man, she pleases me like Samson said. She's so pretty and she's so nice. Let me ask you, have you thought about eternity? 
We make decisions based on the outcome of today or tomorrow or next month or next year or even retirement. My friend, it's not enough to do that as a believer. we got to think about eternity. God wants you and I on a faith journey, not a sight journey. And sadly enough, as believers, if we're not careful, we buy into the wrong philosophy and the wrong ideology. We buy into the world's philosophy. We somehow think that it's about today. It's about now. It's about what I possess. It's about who I know. It's about everything right now. It's not about that. It's about eternity. As we end 2019, I want to encourage you and I want to move you and I want to motivate you to go home and think about eternity. Because in the end, you're going to face God one day and you and I are going to give an account to Him for everything we've done. And even as He called Abraham out and He said, I want you to leave everything that's important to you today I want you to be willing to be inconvenienced. I want you to be willing to be uncomfortable. I want you to leave everything you've trusted and depended upon. And I want you to take a journey for me. A faith journey. He's crying out to every one of us today. And saying, won't you choose my path for your life? Instead of your own. Won't you allow me to meet your every need? Won't you permit me to be real in your life? Won't you let me bless you in this life and eternity? Most of us will sell our futures for the present. We will offer eternity on the altar of the immediate. Like Esau, we'll sell our birthrights because we're just a little hungry. I want to encourage you today to say as I enter 2020, I want to find out what God has for me, what God wants for me. I want to obey God. I want to live for God. I'm going to think about eternity. Gladstone had it right. If I could poll everyone over the age of 60 today and say, how fast did 60 come? To the disbelief of everyone that's 30 and below, they would say, like a vapor. Young men, young ladies, and adult men and ladies, and senior men and ladies. Think about eternity. Every decision you make, every decision I make, needs to run through the filter of eternity with that in mind. Because eternity is really with us already, it's not a future thing. It's not out there. We're living it today. Because everything that we do today affects that. May God help us. I wonder, do you know Christ is your Savior today? What accomplishments 
have you attained to? What goals and aspirations do you have? Let me ask you, if you arrive at them all, you achieve them all, what then? Oh, you need Christ as your Savior. He died for you on Calvary. He paid with his own precious, perfect blood the sin that was rightly yours to pay for. Will you accept him and his payment today in your place? Or will you continue to neglect him and eternity? May God help you to make the right decision. And the right decision is to come to the place where you fall on your face humbly before God. And you beg for his mercy and forgiveness for the wretched, sinful heart that you have. And you cry out to him for forgiveness and ask him to forgive you, save you, and come into your life. You know what he'll do? He'll transform and change you forever. You'll be a new creature, a new creation. And you can begin a faith journey. One that can leave a legacy for both now and for generations to come. Father, we come to you. We just thank you for all you do for us and all that you mean to us. Bless us now in this time of invitation. Father, for the believer, may you take this time to remind us of eternity that we must get on board. We must get on the right road. We must be willing to take a faith journey, not living by sight as believers, but living by faith. Thinking about eternity. And for the unbeliever today, may they think about eternity. What then? What then? Father, may we settle our eternal destination by receiving and accepting Christ. We'll thank you. If there's one person or many that...